song because we like to take an hour now and pray. <laughs> well, that's funny. You don't pray for an hour every Sunday morning? No, but prayer is a, a sweet time in our lives, in our day, in our moments. It's a, it's a sweet time to connect with God. It's not just saying words to God, but it's listening for God. It's being present with God. And that's what worship is all about, too. We come here. This is a sweet hour of prayer because our music is prayer and our greeting one another is prayer. It's all part of communing with the presence of the living God this morning. And so as we turn to his word and we look to scripture for our time of the message this morning, I invite us to pray again and to ask God to keep that connection open to heaven and allow his spirit to speak into our hearts and our minds what he would have just for you and just for me this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks You are not silent, and you are always ready and willing to uh, spend an hour with us, to talk with us, to hear from us, and to share with us your heart for us. God, as we look to your word now, would you speak through your spirit, a special word for each of us this morning. Clarify what you would have us know about who you are, about who we are in you, and what you would have us do as a result of your transforming work in our lives. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, who gave his life so that we might have life. Amen. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome to you if you're visiting with us this morning. As always, we'd encourage you, don't rush off after the service is over. We'd love to greet you, find out a little bit more about who you are. We are in our second week of our new series that we're calling Vital Signs, Markers of a Healthy Missional Church. And by healthy, we mean pursuing Christ. And by missional, we mean pursuing Christ's mission in the world. As we move forward in this season of life as a church, we have come to recognize that one of our core values, one of the things that really form our sense of identity as a church is that we are Bible-based and Christ-centered, and we want to be sure that we are holding ourselves accountable to what the Bible says a vital, healthy, thriving church looks like, what makes a church come alive. And as we make plans for the future and we set strategies and goals, we want to make sure that those goals are in alignment with God's word and God's will for who we are. And so we're going to be spending this fall season looking at the scriptural signs of what a healthy missional church looks like. Last week, we launched with the number one marker is that uh, the churches hold the centrality of the word of God as being of utmost importance. Because we talked about last week how it's the word of God that tells us about the living word who is Jesus and leads us into a relationship with him because that's really what it's all about. It's not just the written word of God, but it's the living word of God that opens the door to relationship with God in a whole new way, which is what really the Christian life is all about. And that really sets us up for the second marker, which is a life-transforming walk with Jesus. As we talked a little bit about last week, early covenanters, which is a part of the denomination that we have adopted into recently, had two primary questions. That's four. Uh, Two fingers makes two, right? Two primary questions that they used to ask one another that became kind of the foundation of, of their communal life together. And the first one we talked about last week is, where is it written? 
Where in Scripture do you support the belief that you have about a particular theological area or issue? We can agree to disagree as Christians. In fact, we're better to be together and debate issues and learn and grow from one another rather than separating over dividing theological hairs. But we have to support it with Scripture. It has to be Bible-based. And so the question, you can say whatever you want, but show me where it's written was a foundational question. And the second question that they always followed up with was, How goes your walk? Because if all of the information of Scripture isn't leading to formation in Christ, we talked about last week, then all of that Bible knowledge isn't leading us to the ultimate relationship with God that the Bible intends us to have. And so asking, how goes your walk with Jesus, was an equally important and critical question. And we know from Scripture that a walk with Jesus begins by entering into relationship with Him, accepting Him as our Lord and our Savior, inviting Him to become the master of our lives and becoming His disciples. And it continues then in a lifelong learning journey of walking in step with Him and His Spirit. It's it's ultimately meant to result in a better world. Now, you don't often think about walking with Jesus as resulting in a better world. We, we don't connect those two immediately. But if you think about it, that's really the purpose is that when we invite Christ into our lives, we are transformed by his resurrection power, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace to be new creatures in him so that we can then go be a transforming influence in the world around us. God's answer to the brokenness of the world is the people of Christ becoming his hands and feet, living in the world through him. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. That goes all the way back to the beginning of the people of faith with Abraham. Yet many church studies are coming out now in this season of life and culture in American history that are suggesting that an increasing percentage of people who would identify themselves as close to Christ in their relationship and as Christ-centered believers also indicate that they find themselves spiritually stalled. They're stuck. They don't see themselves as growing and developing in their spiritual lives. Or perhaps a, same, a similar number of people are dissatisfied with the role that their church is playing in helping them to move forward on that growing, developing path of a life-transforming walk with Jesus. One of those studies that you may have heard of, it's one of the more popular ones, is Willow Creek's Reveal Study, where they looked internally at themselves and they expanded that out to other churches to see if what they were finding in their church was true for other churches. And yes, that's true. This is becoming epidemic across the United States. Some of you may be familiar with author Dallas Willard, who's written books on uh, spiritual disciplines and connecting with God through developing ourselves through spiritual exercises, what disciplines really are. And he's quoted as saying, it is now commonly a commonly held belief that one can be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus. Now to that, that's kind of a non-starter, right? You can't have one without the other. But in a, today's church culture in America, that is becoming more and more a common experience where people believe that they're Christians, but they don't have a life-transforming walk with Jesus. As we seek to be a church that's not only Bible-based and Christ-centered, but is one that intentionally makes disciples of Jesus, it's important for us to pay attention to how we are helping people to experience 
a life-transforming walk in their own lives. And today we're going to look at the story of one man's walk with Jesus that was ultimately life-transforming for him. And we're going to look in John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. Looking at verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this character of Nicodemus is kind of an interesting guy, right? It says he's a a Pharisee, which means he's he's an expert teacher of the Jewish law. He knows the scriptures inside and out. He's the kind of guy that you would go to to ask for advice on how to grow in your spiritual life, how to do better at living the life that God has called you to live. He's a guy who might be up here preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning, or back then on a Saturday morning. But he's not only a Pharisee, he's not only an expert in religious studies, he's also a member of the ruling council. They called that the Sanhedrin. And in the Jewish culture, it had developed over years that God had asked them to appoint judges to to rule over religious decisions and disputes among the people, all the way back in the Old Testament. So those judges had begun to gather into what they would call, kind of, we would call courts today. And every town had a court. And ultimately, they had representatives that would come. And in Jerusalem, they had the great Sanhedrin. And this was the large council. This was like the supreme court of the Israelite people. And Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's a member of the supreme court. And he's sneaking out at night to come to Jesus to go, there's something about you that we know has to be of God. And I just got to know, what is it that I'm missing? What is it that I need to understand that, I, that I'm not getting? And Jesus says, oh, it's simple. You just got to be born again. <laughs> what? Born again? What does that mean? 
How do you be born again once you're already born? And, and Jesus here is using a word that we have translated born again, but the literal translation is that you need to be born from above. You need to be born of heaven. You need to be born of God in a way that it ultimately takes over, transforms your, your self-identity, and ultimately gives you a new lease on life. And that's what Nicodemus was missing, is that that's why Jesus, the Son of Man, came, was to transform our lives from the inside out. What we see if you follow the story of Jesus is that Nicodemus shows up later in the story when he's at trial. And Nicodemus is kind of trying to help navigate this this trial in front of the Sanhedrin, which doesn't go well for Jesus. And ultimately, he's executed. But then he shows up again with Joseph of Arimathea after he's dead, bringing Jesus to the tomb with spices for burial. So God was continuing to work on Nicodemus' heart. And the assumption of scholars is, is that he and Joseph of Arimathea had become followers of Jesus by that point on his walk with Jesus. But you see, this term born again has become an important term for us as believers because it signifies something that is outside of the ordinary, something that is outside of the normal course of our human life. We are born again, again. In today's modern terms, it might be more helpful to think about all the computers and devices that we use. If you think about it in terms of when we were originally designed by God, we were designed with a particular operating system that was supposed to help us function as human beings in this world. And yet somewhere along the way, an enemy came in and introduced a computer virus into the operating system that corrupted the system. And from then on, it has made human beings confused and not sure how to live life anymore because the original operating system is no longer functioning the way it was intended. So from the very beginning, God had a plan to produce a fix for the operating system. Now, if you know your Bible, you understand that that operating system is known as the image of God. We were created as human beings in the image of God to reflect his character in his life, in his love, in our lives. But the Bible says sin came in like a virus and has corrupted the image of God in you and me. So we experience life not as the way it's supposed to be, but as this fallen, broken experience of life in this world. The operating system on which we're supposed to function has been completely corrupted. Turn with me just quickly back to Genesis one twenty-seven to the creation story. In verse 27 of chapter 1, it says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, this image of God that has been vandalized and disrupted and distorted in you and in me and in our lives is the very thing that Jesus came to restore in us. You see, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus, came from heaven. He is the one who came down from heaven with the correct operating system to reinstall it in God's original creation so that we could begin to function according to God's original design. 
Let's quickly go to 1 Corinthians 15. Flip around your Bible real quick. It's all the way to the back. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's kind of take on this plan that God had. Verse 45 to 49, it says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Now, Adam's the one who allowed the virus to be introduced into the operating system, right? The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man was of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so, are, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, the whole point of being in a relationship with Jesus is that through the Spirit of God, we are transformed from the inside out to become the image of Christ in our lives. Jesus is God's fix for our operating system. And the Spirit of God comes, and it blows wherever it pleases. We hear its sound, but we don't know where it comes from or where it goes to. We are bound to follow the prompting of the Spirit. You see, this is not a program of the church. This is not a formula that we can write down on a card, and if you just follow the right four steps, you can apply this in your life. This is not a pill that you swallow that now everything is better. This is an ongoing, life-transforming walk that takes a lifetime walking with Jesus, following the Spirit of God in our life. It's allowing God to be the operating system of your life. The question is, which operating system are you functioning under? Is it your operating system that comes from that fallen humanity? Or have you downloaded the new upgrade and allowing that to function in your life? You see, Jesus identified this experience of Moses and the Israelites in the desert where they had been rescued from slavery and they went out into the desert and they end up wandering in the desert because they're grumbling and complaining to God and they're upset that they, he would have taken them out into this God-forsaken wilderness place. And so he says, fine, have some poisonous snakes and see how you like that. And so they start biting him and people start dying. And so then they're like, oh God, we're so sorry. We complained, we're, we're ungrateful. And, and so they went to Moses and said, Moses, do something. So he prayed to God, and God said, fine. Here, take a snake, put it on a a pole, hold it up in the air, and anytime somebody gets bit, have them look at the snake, and they'll be healed. And what Jesus is saying is he's looking back, and he's saying, that whole experience was a foreshadowing of what I was going to be coming to do. Because, see, you have been bitten by a poisonous virus, and your operating system has become corrupted, and that Poison is running through your spiritual veins. But the Son of Man has been lifted up. And if you can just put your eyes on Jesus, if you can just turn your gaze on him, if you can just put your trust in him, he will reveal to you that the the original intended operating system is available for download from heaven today for you, for everyone. And it's free. I wonder if we see in Nicodemus a symptom of many people's experience of the Christian life in the American church today. 
I mean, aren't we the most well-educated, the most well-funded, the most well-organized church on the planet? Aren't we seeking God with with hours and hours of of effort and time and, and employment and pastors and staff and programs? Aren't we pursuing extremely religious lifestyles, standing up to the, the stemming, t- or stemming the tide of our culture, even to the point of becoming Christian teachers and leaders and pastors who can preach on the platform? I mean, aren't we spending a lot of our time pursuing the Christian life, yet maybe not realizing that many of the people who are coming to our churches, many of you sitting in the pews today are stuck in your faith. You're not growing in your spiritual life. You would perhaps testify if we were to do a survey of our church and we were all to be honest that my life isn't really transforming much these days. We've kind of plateaued. We're, we're kind of comfortable where we're at. We've kind of fallen into the rut and the routine and we're just doing the best to get by with what we've got. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but boy, I don't know, life transformation? Is that really what this is all about? At our church, we have clearly articulated through our listening campaign and our conversation with one another that it's our desire and it's part of our core value to not only be Bible-based and Christ-centered, but to be a church that becomes more and more intentional about making disciples of Jesus Christ. I have a friend and colleague who's a pastor at a church in Northern California, and it's a larger sister covenant church there. It's about seven or 800 people, and it's been a, a long-time church there. So it's an older church and a, just a wonderful ministry, and they're doing a lot of really good work in the community, and they actually have a, a community center with a gym and a pool, and they have people from the community coming to the church through the community center, and they have a counseling center attached to it, and they did an internal survey there, and you know what they found? They found the same results. Many of the people who were coming to church there and had been coming their whole lives felt like they were stuck in their growth and development. And so they started to dig a little deeper and they said, well, why is that? Why are people not growing in their faith as part of our ministry here? Because we have such a apparently healthy and vibrant church. And what they discovered is that they had all these programs that provided information for people, education classes, opportunities for training, all these kinds of things that they were doing, but yet there was a gap from receiving the information that they needed to the experiencing the life transformation that was supposed to result. And what that gap was, they identified as they called it application. Our people, they said, are receiving information, but they don't know how to apply it in their lives in a way that leads to ongoing transformation. And so they began to look at, well, why is that? What's happening? What's the breakdown with application? And what they really discovered is that it was a breakdown in Christian community. The people did not have the relationships around them to help support them in following through on the promises that they made to themselves. So you'd have a person who could go to a class and they could be inspired by the information and say, oh, that's what I need. I need to do that. And they go away and then a week or two later, they fall right back into the routine and there's no one to check up on them. There's no one to hold them accountable and say, are you following through on the plan that you had? There's no, there's no encouragement and support. And so all of that information was being lost in the gap of a lack of application and people weren't experiencing life transformation. 
And so they began to retool their whole approach to ministry and say, well, how do we put people into the gap so that we're having people who are walking alongside people as they plan for spiritual goals for their own growth and development in their lives? And they began to see more results. They changed their view on what discipleship was really all about. Now, in our covenant affirmations, we have a list of things that we affirm as a, as a denomination. One of the affirmations that we as a denomination list is called the necessity of new birth. In order to be a Christian, in order to uh, identify as somebody who is a Christ follower, we believe that there is the necessity of new birth, that we have to experience this life-transforming experience of having our operating system completely renewed. We know that a walk begins with a relationship with Jesus, but again, it continues in a lifelong learning walk with Jesus. And so the question for us really today is how goes your walk? How goes your walk with Jesus today? If we were to do a survey and a poll here, how would you answer? Are you stuck in your spiritual life? Are you growing? Are you experiencing life transformation in your spiritual walk? And if not, What's the gap for you? What's the sticking point? What's preventing you from getting traction in your walk with Jesus and moving forward and growing in your spiritual life? Because that is one of the core identities of a healthy, vital church, is that its people are growing in their faith. You see, the church is intended to be a learning community, a community of learners who are learning together and supporting one another on the journey. But it's not about trying harder. It's about training harder. It's, it's always a relationship, and it's never a formula. It's a shared journey, and it's never an individual marathon. We have to learn how to help one another work on our spiritual lives as we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. See, it's part of our challenge If part of our challenge as a church in this season ahead is to address this issue of information not leading to life transformation, how how can we as a church begin to think about what that means for us? How can we move forward as a church? As we've been talking about some of these things more behind the scenes, we think that we can take a cue from our children's and youth ministries in this area. Many of you have kind of been exposed to the, the Orange Conference and the Orange Curriculum that our children's ministries and youth ministries have been using. And we had a, a group of our staff members who were able to go to the Orange One Day Conference, they call it the Orange Tour, that was here this month. And uh, Pastor Donna even wrote a, a small article about that in the newsletter. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, check it out. It's, she, she did a great job of kind of capturing some of the things that we're talking about. Most of you are probably familiar with Orange because once a month on Sunday morning, uh, Cindy and Kara get up and they share the Life app, right? What is a Life app? It's something that God does in us to change the world around us. Well, that's really kind of what we've been talking about, isn't it? So as Orange has looked at how do we help our children to understand that they too have an operating system that God wants to bring to health and whole functioning, they they have these ideas that life apps are characteristics of God that we can begin to download in our relationship with Him and allow to function in our lives in new ways. 
And the thing that orange is talking about, oh, and by the way, just to reiterate, orange is a, a, a color that comes from marrying the light of the church, which is yellow, and the warmth of the family at the home, which is red. And when we come into partnership with one another, it becomes orange. I love that image. It's great, right? It's that whole life discipleship approach. It's not about just what happens here on Sunday morning, but it's what happens in our homes and in our workplaces throughout the week as well. And so Orange is looking at childhood develop and their development, and they're recognizing that children have developmental phases that they go through. And if we can understand what's happening in the life of a child at that developmental phase, and we can meet them at their point of need, we can bring the truth of Scripture and the love of Christ to bear and help them to be on this ever-increasing developmental journey on their relationship with Jesus Christ. So they see it as relevant and valuable to who they are as emerging and developing people. Well, as we were hearing about this and learning about this as a staff, and we had a chance to discuss a little bit and talk about it, we began to realize, you know what? It's not just children who have stages of development. We are all going through stages of development on our journey towards heaven with Jesus. And whether you're a young family, or whether you're a middle-aged career person, or whether you're planning on retirement, or you've already retired and you're looking at, how do I spend my golden years? These are all phases of life where we have experiences of need and information and help. But all of the information that we provide, if we're not also providing people to walk along with us, to help encourage us and support us and keep us accountable to the promises that we make to ourselves could all end up for naught. It's like, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, this is such a common one in our culture, right? If if you want to lose weight, nobody goes on a diet anymore and expects to be successful for very long if they just try and do it alone. That's why places like Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and and groups at the gym and and even our, our Daniel plan that we did last year are all parts of recognizing that in order to be successful at achieving goals that we set for ourselves, it helps to have a community around us to walk with us, to encourage us, to support us. If we know that that's what we need to do in those areas of life, why don't we do that in our spiritual lives? Where have we gotten off track recognizing how important it is that we have at least one or two or three people that we can be honest with and transparent with that if they come and say, how goes your walk? And you can answer truthfully, you know that you have support and somebody who can help you and pick you up when you stumble and dust you off and clean you up and, and help encourage you along the way. Based on God's word and in conjunction with God's spirit, can we be helping one another set growth goals that challenge us to do better in our spiritual lives, to grow and experience the life transformation that Jesus promises us? Because see, as we do that, what we discover is that a transforming walk with Jesus doesn't just go a long way, it actually goes deeper and deeper and deeper into our identity and into our lives. And as each layer peels away through the grace and the mercy and the healing of God, we discover more and more freedom for living out the life that Jesus has for us in the power and the presence of his spirit. Now, we've talked about these kinds of phases a little bit, and I just want to quickly reintroduce these to you. Uh, Last Christmas, we talked about the four life searches. 
And that all of us as human beings are always kind of searching in these four core areas of life. We're searching for community. We're searching for identity. We're searching for meaning. And we're searching for purpose. And while we're all searching in all four areas, there is kind of a progression in how they feed into one another as well. We know that if we start in those early developmental phases as children, we're born into community. We are social beings. And it's only in relationship with other people that we begin to understand how we're unique and how we're special and how we're different. And we begin to understand that our identity is somehow unique to me and that God created me with a particular personality and with certain gifts and passions for certain kinds of things. And so our identity becomes more clear uh, coming out of community. And then as we discover the things that we uh, enjoy and that we're passionate about, we begin to try our hand doing things and we work at things and we begin to find value and meaning as we make a positive contribution to our family or to our workplaces or the community around us or even serving at our church. Our, Our sense of meaning grows and deepens as we find meaningful work to do out of who we are. And ultimately, all of that leads to a greater sense of purpose, that, that God had a design and a reason for making me, me, and for making you, you. And that purpose has a calling to it. God has called each of us as followers of Christ to use all that we have and all that we are to be servants of his kingdom. And when we have a sense that we have a purpose in life, that we have a call in our life, now there's a reason for being. And when we have that reason for being, then we're motivated to stay on that walk with Jesus, to grow more and more into our understanding of all of these areas. Well, whether you're a a young person who's just graduated from college, you have specific questions and needs in each of these areas. If you're retiring, you have specific needs in each of these areas. And as a church, we could begin to see how in each phase of life, how are we helping to meet the needs in these core areas of life, providing community and belonging for people in ways that are a part of our discipleship, helping them discover our, people's identity and, and their shape and their unique uh, understanding of who they are, ultimately giving them chances to serve and try out new things and explore opportunities for how they can contribute in ways that bring meaning and value, and ultimately helping people in their relationship with God discover their purpose and calling for life. I've kind of translated this into a kind of a vision statement since we're kind of in that season of life. You could say it this way. We are a community of people formed by the word of God who find our new identity in Jesus Christ and who, empowered by the spirit, find meaning in our work as we fulfill God's purpose for us in the world as our spiritual calling. If you were to experience that statement in a robust wholehearted way, that would be a life-transforming experience, would it not? Wouldn't this be a great dream to offer everyone who comes to church at Faith Covenant Church to experience this kind of life transformation? I think that this is a part of what God is calling us to as a faith community. I think this is what God is calling you to this morning in your own life. I think this is what God is calling us as leaders of the church to do, to help build a vision for helping people to experience a life-transforming walk with Jesus. How goes your walk today? Are you stuck? Are you stalled? Are you afraid? Are you bored? Are you just tired? Don't sit alone in that place. There is a whole community of people around you 
who were created by God and gifted to one another to walk alongside you on this journey. Because the spirit that is in me is the spirit that is in you. And as we hold hands and we walk together, the spirit of God empowers us to be a blessing to one another. And when we experience the life transformation of Christ in us, then we become world changers because God will use us to transform the world around us. I want to leave you with the encouraging words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you are always walking beside us. The wind blows where it will, and we hear the sound of it, but we don't always see or notice or focus on your presence with us. But this morning, God, we feel the wind of your Spirit blowing in our hearts and in our minds, awakening us to a new experience of life with you. God, would you give us the courage and the strength to open our hearts, not only to you, but to one another so that we can experience the transformation that you have promised so that we can be your hands and your feet to bless a lost and a hurting world. Amen. Amen. We are blessed with so many different ministries here at Faith Covenant Church. One of those ministries is our youth ministry, where middle school and high school students have an opportunity to have fun, but to hear and to grow in their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This past week, the middle school's students and parents gathered, and 60 of them were involved in the kickoff. And Friday evening after the Sumner football game, where they beat the number three team in the state, I heard, um, there was a fifth quarter, and it's sponsored by Faith Covenant Church, and students gathered along with other youth pastors from different churches and enjoyed some time on the field, under the lights, um, at the stadium. And your gifts and your offerings help with this and all the ministries here and other ministries supported through Faith Covenant Church. Would the ushers please come forward to receive our gifts and our offerings? <laughs> 